if you are new to Element, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables. They look like this. On the inside, there's some notes about what we're going to talk about, as well as some questions to go a little bit deeper. On the back, there's also some announcements. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. So my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me, reading God's Word? This is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to have an understanding that we are saved people. Uh, that you have sought us and redeemed us, and our hearts in turn would live in a place of gratitude because of what you have done, that our lives would change because we understand how good you are to us. Teach us to live as your children in this world. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we're in this series called Legends of the Fall. In the summer, we did a 12-week series called Color Book All-Stars. It was all happy and, you know, bright and shiny and all that, and we talked about all the good guys or good stories that are in the Bible, and then I showed you how all those good guys weren't that good, and so we kind of switched a corner, and now we're talking about a series called Legends of the Fall, where everything is the negative of that, all the negative or the bad people or bad stories in the Bible. Sometimes they're in the Bible coloring book, uh, but they're always kind of drawn bad, and I got a little gift for you today. Today is probably going to be my shortest message in this series. It might even, yeah, right, and it might even be my shortest message all year, Merry Christmas. Right, Merry Christmas. So, because it is it is a shorter story, we're going to talk about a short little guy. His name is Zacchaeus. Oh, see, it's Bible humor. You're like, I don't even know what that means. Okay, you'll get it. Uh, Zacchaeus is one of the people in the Bible that people love to draw pictures of and, and, and stories about, but he starts out very bad because he's a tax collector. Nobody likes to tell happy stories about IRS agents. So he's in the Legends of the Fall. He's a bad guy. Uh, Mick Jagger is quoted as saying, I love America, but I can't spend the whole year here. I can't afford the taxes. Hey, Jay Leno says, worried about an IRS audit? Avoid what is called a red flag. That is something the IRS always looks for. For example, say you have some money left in your bank account after paying taxes. That's a red flag. Ogden Nash, I love Ogden Nash's poems. He wrote this, Abracadabra, thus we learn the more you create, the less you earn, the less you earn, the more you're given, the less you lead, the more you're driven, the more destroyed, the more they feed, the less, the more you pay, the more they need, the more you earn, the less you keep. And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take if the tax collector hasn't got it before I wake. <laughs> but that's how we feel about taxes. We're like, we, if you pay taxes, right? You hate taxes. If, I don't know if you ever got a letter in the mail that says, from the IRS, I, I actually own a computer business on the side. Every once in a while, we get these from the IRS, and your stomach just goes, oh, what is it? What's going on? Any? Never. Okay. And, yeah, and you start to feel like, oh, what is that? you got this dread deep down inside. That's, that, this idea of taxes and all those feelings have been around for a really long time. Again, that's why I put it in Legends of the Fall, because no one ever thought of the tax man as a good guy, and Zacchaeus is a tax man. I don't care how he's pictured in the Bible. We're going to start with him as a bad guy. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And as you do that, I'm going to give you a lot of history to get there, to Luke chapter 19. Uh, people around Galilee, when Jesus taught and was raised and preached and all that, they were farmers. There are, a lot of them are barely surviving and eating. There is massive poverty and famine, huge loss of what were called family-owned lands. 
there's also a group of religious elites that ruled on behalf of Rome in this place called Jerusalem. The elites would build bigger and bigger and bigger houses or everybody else starved. Current excavations have found what are equivalent to $20,000 bottles of wine in some of these ruins. So you have 80 to 90% involved in agriculture and they're just poor because these religious elites are coming and taking everything away from these people. Now this might be a stretch, but imagine 2,000 years ago there were people in Jerusalem that had such wealth that 17 miles away in Jericho they built summer homes. Not that a summer home is bad. It's not bad to have one, but how they got their money is they taxed all of these farmers and all of these workers and they took all of that money and lived a rich lifestyle off of the back of these other people. Uh, Jericho is a city that had a, a natural oasis, so it's a great vacation spot. And so if you're one of these ruling elite and you're living off of these people by taking their money through taxes, you don't want to walk there yourself and get it. You don't want to get your robe all dirty as you walk there. So they would employ people to go get it for them. Uh, when they collect taxes, taxes is the word talos. A person who collected taxes for the rich was called a talonis. That is a tribute or tax collector. If you're poor, everything is taken from you. So how do you feel about these tax collectors? Give me one word. It can be a grunt. Yeah, all right, all right. They don't like them. So the rich, they're getting richer, not because they're working for it, but they're taking it from you and you get poorer. For a God-fearing Jew who's living in the world at this time, this is not right. This is a violation of the Torah. People taking advantage of one another is a violation of God's law. Now, in the book of Leviticus, which I know you all have memorized because you love it so much, when you think, I'm going to read the Bible, you think Leviticus, right? It's like, that's where I am going. It's so interesting. Now, Leviticus translates as relating to the Levites. The Levites were supposed to be the, the people who took care of the temple, the ones that brought God's word to the rest of the people. Torah, the whole book will translate as law, commands, or more simply, the way. The Torah was about outlining how God's people were to live in God's world in God's way. And so the Jewish people always had this discussion about how do we live God's way in the world around us. Many people in Jesus' day actually had the entire Torah memorized. In Leviticus 25, what you'll see is this thing called the year of Jubilee. I'm going to read to you about it. Leviticus 25, verse 10. It says, And you shall consecrate, that means set apart, the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Verse 14 says, And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. Verse 17 says, you shall not wrong one another, that's take advantage of, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. The way it worked was like this. Everybody in Israel, each family had a piece of land. And you would work that piece of land and be passed on from generation to generation to generation. It's how you survive. Leviticus 25 says, don't let anyone lose their family land. And if for some reason they did, every 50 years, it goes back to the family from whence it came. You like torch the MasterCard headquarters every 50 years, you would believe, woo, party. Okay? Sounds great. Or not. Okay. So if your family had somehow at some point in that 50 years, maybe you hit really hard times. Not because you're buying things you can't afford because that's bad for your country, but, you know, it's something beyond your control. Like a, like a new car or a new TV or eating at McDonald's every day is not beyond your control. I know you feel like it is, but it's not. It's not. This is like something where you have like a, a plague of locusts or a drought, something severe that comes in, and you have to sell your family land for your family to survive. Every 50 years, every new generation, everybody gets a fresh start. 
I mean, it's a really, really beautiful idea. And central in this is you don't take advantage of anyone. There's a progression. Verse 25 says, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If someone is in debt, you as a fellow countryman come along, you step in and help him. Not only to not get into debt, but also get out of it. Verse 35 says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain, and that's the idea of interest, cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit. The word in the Hebrew is actually excessive interest. But fear your God that your brother may live beside you. Continues the verse 39. Your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you. You shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Central to the command of the Torah is this idea. You never take advantage of somebody else. Even if they're dumb and you can, you don't do it. When someone is down, you don't exploit them. Even if they're, even if they're crazy and they keep borrowing, at some point you say, no, I am not going to encourage you to keep going into debt. No. In Jesus' day, there's a large gap between people because God's people stopped living God's way of what he called them to, and they're beginning to live lives of greed. Again, every 50 years, everyone gets a fresh start. All the land goes back to the family from where it came from. That's God's intent. Again, sounds nice. In Leviticus 19, all of this kind of connects. It goes together with what we're getting to. Trust me, we'll get there. Okay? The Torah is very practical. Crops and land and debts and paychecks and saving and generosity and charging interest, living the way of God. Leviticus 19 verse 9 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So what's happened, if you were a farmer and you had a field, you would like gather all of in the center and on the edges you would leave that. And if you had like an orchard of trees and some stuff fell on there, you would leave some of that. If you had a vineyard, you'd leave some of that. So people who were poor and didn't have any money could actually come and get some of that food and take it home and they could eat. That You didn't give it to them. They actually had to come and work for it. But God's idea is that we would always be thinking about others. Our minds would always be going towards others. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Meaning, if you have a day laborer and he comes to work through you, you pay him that day because he needs that money to feed his family. You don't hold on to it, you pay him. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Kind of seems that's like all our society does today is one of those two things. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Verse 19, God says, keep my statutes. This is decrees, and it goes into all of these things that need a whole lot of explanation. We're not going to get into this morning, but... Precisely, say that the Torah is very practical. It, it is about friends and neighbors and money and land and, and works and, and words and sexuality and rest and families and business. The way of God is about our entire lives, everything that we do. It all goes back to the words of life, how God intends for his people to interact with him and each other and the world around them. So you start talking about taxes. Okay, Taxes in and of themselves were not bad. Every government needs taxes in order to do certain things that taxes pay for. But, but it is when taxes are excessive, when they are oppressive. Maybe a tax code so complex that not even the people who are there to enforce the tax code know what's in it. Okay? 
That's oppressive. Okay? That, that is oppressive. In Jesus' day, taxes were oppressive and excessive. Those who lived off the taxes were this elite group of people. They were an overeducated ruling class who saw themselves as better than everybody else. Hmm. Okay. Imagine our town run by the most arrogant high school or college professor you ever had. It's like, no! Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the world. And you started to despise these people because they lorded over you. And they would come in and they would take your, your neighbors or your friends or somebody you thought was an okay guy, maybe the, the guy that gave the valedictorian speech at, at your high school graduation, and they would take those guys to go and work for them. And those guys would then show up at your house and take money from you to give to them. They'd also put extra taxes on top of that to take from you to keep for themselves and then give the rest to the guys that they're going for. So that's how it is. It just kind of gets worse and worse and worse. So you have these people. They collect taxes. Taxes are talos. Tax collectors are called talonis. A talonis in this oppressive situation is a violation of the Torah. It is a violation of God's law. Above the talonis, you have this thing called an architalonis, which is the chief tax collector. Chief tax collector. That guy sat at the center of a system and a world that is falling apart. So there's your background. You with me? All right. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. At this time, there is an Old city of Jericho and a, and a new city of Jericho. This is the new city of Jericho. It has a new Jericho smell. It's very posh. It's very nice. And people who have a lot of money are there and, and a lot of people, poor people are there. So you're rubbing arms, all walks of life kind of together. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a what? A chief tax collector. A chief tax collector and was rich. He is rich. So now do you see why I said all that to you ahead of time? This is what's going on. This is who this guy is. Part of what you don't see in the story, it's right under the surface, and it starts off with Zacchaeus' name. I mean, you've got to think about what's in a name. Today, parents name their kids. You know, hey, that sounds cool. That'll go with my last name. That'll be cute. And they kind of name them for that. In this day and age, people named kids because it actually meant something. I mean, today, people name their kids just the weirdest stuff. Like, I think Michael Jackson named his kid Your Majesty Jackson. Penn Gillette named his kid Moxie Crime Fighter Gillette. I'm like, sweet. That is like cool. Nicholas Cage named his kid Kalel. And this guy's going, oh, can I do that? Your wife is like, no. Okay. Don't even think about it. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're older, Frank Zappa, right? Frank Zappa named his kid Dweezel and Moon Unit. Like, yeah, you don't want your kids to get beat up in school for that. I mean, that's kind of crazy. In Jesus' day, you would name your kids about your hopes and your dreams, what you wanted them to be. Your majesty, apparently, right? Whatever. It's like all about your faith in God. Kind of one of the reasons why the, the name Judas kind of tapers off after the, the resurrection and, and why nobody names their kid Lucifer anymore and why for a lot of years the name Adolf wasn't given to kids in you know, Germany anymore, things like that. Uh, Zacchaeus' name, it meant pure and righteous. But what's a tax collector? Tax collector is the opposite of that. It's not what his mother named him to be. He's a traitor to his people. He was wealthy. He got that wealth by extorting it from other people. And so the first line of that shows you the hope of what his parents wanted, and yet the place where Jesus is going to find Zacchaeus. And when people start to go this bad in their lives, they try and fill it with something. something i got to avoid. i got to fill it with something, whether it's wealth, possessions, or, or drugs, whatever it is. Zacchaeus is probably in a place where he feels like he's got nothing to live for. He's got nothing left to his life. He's got no peace, no dignity, no respect. What happens when you lose respect and self-respect in your life? You start to spiral downward. It's like a girl who has sex really, really young. 
Statistically speaking, they will have more partners more often as they get older. If you get divorced, you are more than likely the second time, 50% more likely to get divorced a second time if you get married again. Shoplifters who don't get caught will start to shoplift more. Zacchaeus is a person who he lost who he was as a person. He was meant to be a Jew, a son of Abraham, a follower of God. But how did he get rich? How he got rich destroyed his life. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he's a little guy. Uh, Princess bride, inconceivable. Okay, Just picture that when you think of Zacchaeus right there. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So he wants to see Jesus. He runs into obstacles. The, the only thing that people in this town could probably do to Zacchaeus is not let him through to see Jesus. So he comes running. They're like, la, la, la. He's only tall as my butt, so I'll just stand, you know, about that tall. And just, that's, that's all I can. And they won't. And so what does he do? He goes to try and find another way. I'm going to climb up in this little shrub and climb to the top, and, and that way I can see Jesus. Why does he do this? Because you're starting to see there's something going on in his heart and his life. I mean, Jewish kids from the time that they have certain verses just drilled into their heads. Deuteronomy 4.29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So you see something's going on in his life and he wants to see Jesus. So he climbs this shrub. Verse 5. And when Jesus came into the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for him and stay at your house today. So you got a Jewish rabbi. He goes around and he's teaching people how to live the way of the Torah, how to live the life of God. Don't extort people. Give it to those in need. He comes to Jericho. He sees a chief tax collector and says, hey, I'm going to come eat at your house today. A normal rabbi would never do that. They would look at a chief tax collector and they would be vile, evil people who have broken the Torah. They have broken the law. You have nothing to do with them. And yet Jesus says, I must stay at your house. And this is where you again see that it is not so much man's search for God, it is God's search for man. Zacchaeus goes to see Jesus. Jesus finds Zacchaeus. He knows his name. He knows who he was. This is probably the last thing Zacchaeus expects. Jesus coming to his house. Coming to someone's house, it means friendship and reconciliation and hope and family. It's like when God says to us, I want to live in and through you. This has huge ramifications for our lives. That God wants to come in and live in and through us. Jesus' words to Zacchaeus, what they are is their invitation and challenge. It's an invitation to leave the old life. And if he does, everything is going to end up changing. What you see throughout the scriptures is Jesus kind of makes very few promises to what we kind of put in his mouth today, but he speaks a lot about what is needed in our lives. Follow me, so what you have, give it to the poor. Tonight I stay at your house. Today Christianity has become, oh, look what God will do for you. God will give you all these things if you follow him. God, God will bless you, and God does bless us. I mean, don't get me wrong, but God is more concerned with us becoming the people he intends for us to be, making us into people who are holy and different and learn how to bless others around us a lot of times when we follow god things tend to go worse in our lives you look at peter and james and paul i mean like the big guys they were all martyred jesus is crucified and he was a lot more righteous than all of us what does zacchaeus do with this challenge verse six says so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully and i gotta stop right there i know i'm like a kid learning how to drive a stick shift i'm like start stop start stop but but this is this is important if you are poor what do you think about what's happening right now? You're ticked. It's like, what in the world is going Jesus, you don't get to talk to that guy. He is the reason I am in the straits that I am in. That guy is the problem. He has caused me to be poor. We would judge and we would condemn Jesus because we don't understand what he's doing. Like we still do that today. 
Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What they're saying in their heart is, Jesus, you are making this worse. You are not making this better. It says all of them complain. This isn't just the religious elites complaining about Jesus. This is now the crowds because what has now happened is they have made Jesus their own. Jesus is part of my cause. Uh, God's on my side. God's not on your side. God's on God's side. That's whose side God is on. I mean, this is crazy. People tried to make him their own. They want Jesus to have their agenda. They say, you can't live and you can't act like that. I I mean, think about this. So... So this thing in Paris just happens, right? And you got responses all over the board with this. You know, what are we going to do? How's it going to... Some people are like, just nuke them all and take care of it. Can I tell you, you know what our response should be right now? Prayer. And our prayer should be for the people, and it should be for the people who actually committed the crimes. I mean, I know mine were like, just let's let them burn and rot, and we'll just bomb them and be done with it. You know what God wants for them? Redemption. Redemption. Can you imagine the amazing grace it would be if God reveals himself and these people come to follow Jesus and their life completely changes? That's what we should be praying for. I'm not saying there's not times we don't fight. I'm not saying that at all. But our first and foremost prayer would be that they would come to know the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's where we should be. We are always trying to make Jesus part of our cause. Think about the whole red cup thing. I mean, seriously, guys, it's Starbucks, really. There's other reasons not to drink coffee there, okay? Because it's coffee. (laughs) Anybody remember a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer? Okay, so Jeffrey Dahmer is this guy, right? He goes and he kills people and then he eats them. He goes to jail. There's a pastor who has it laid upon his heart that he is supposed to go talk to Jeffrey Dahmer about Jesus. Eventually, supposedly, Jeffrey Dahmer becomes a Christian. Is it true? According to this pastor, it's true. For me, I don't want it to be true. For what I want, I want I want Jeffrey Dahmer to fry in hell forever. That's what I want. No redemption, don't pass go, and no grace, no $200. You just go to hell when forever is done. More time in hell, Jeffrey Dahmer. That's how it's supposed to work. Why? Because he's a sinner. He's so evil, so much worse than me. I mean, seriously, I've never killed anybody. If I did, I wouldn't eat them. I don't live in Terminus. Right? Oh, that, sorry, it's a, it's a Walking Dead joke. Sorry. The people go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you are so out of bounds. You are not allowed to do this. You've got to stop. To be a guest of someone, it had this connotation that, that you carried their packs, you carried their load, you, you, were, you brought them love and friendship, you're in league with them. Jesus is constantly running off after people no one else cared about. This is one of the reasons why it's so hard for the Jews and a lot of people today to trust and live and walk in the way of Jesus because he's interested in everyone. Now, why would he do this? Because this is what God has always done. In the NIV, Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. Why? Because God chose to love us. Zacchaeus has shown grace by God who sought him out because God chose to love, just like God chooses to love us. How does Zacchaeus respond? Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This tells you Zacchaeus knows the Torah. This is a reference to Exodus 22. Fourfold is the restitution for theft. 
So he knows exactly what he has been doing to these people. And what you see is Zacchaeus' life starts to change. He starts wanting to live the way of God in the world. And that means he's letting go of his stuff, of all the things that had his hooks in him so deeply. What Luke is trying to get at is when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he saw in Jesus all that he was always meant to be. And meeting Jesus changed his life. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Now for a rabbi to say this to somebody, especially in front of a crowd, it's one of those, was the most amazing things anybody could say to you. It's like us saying you're a child of God. This, with this crowd around, Jesus says, This man is worthwhile. His life means something. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's a reference to Ezekiel 34. Was Zacchaeus lost? Yes. So was the crowd. So are we. Our God comes to rescue and save us. We are all lost without Jesus. I mean, when we live following Jesus, purpose and meaning come. They come from following who Jesus is and him redeeming our lives. Following Jesus is not about life after death and heaven after death. It's about life here, now, today. I mean, this is the verse that gets repeated throughout the scriptures. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus isn't part of the problem, even everybody thinks that he is. He goes into the center of the problem, to the center of town, to this guy, because the center of the problem is usually us. Actually, no, the center of the problem is always us. It's always us. And when Zacchaeus understands what Jesus has done for him in redeeming him, not just in the eyes of God, but also in the eyes of his community, his response is greater love of God and greater love of people. It's not, yay, I'm saved. I'll go home and watch TV for the rest of my life because I got my fire insurance. What he does, he goes out and he starts to live the way of God in front of everyone else. It's why he says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, today's salvation has come. What does it seem like that salvation centers around? Is it believing the right stuff? Does Zacchaeus have all his theology in order at this point? Probably not. Can he quote the five points of Calvinism? No, you can't. Right? <laughs> you know? I mean, is, is it, oh, I got this catechism, or I got this thing, oh, I learned it. Does he know any of that? He doesn't know any of that. What does he know? Jesus has sought him out. Jesus has called him. And so what does he start to do? Live the way of God the best he understands it in the world. By loving others. By lifting up Jesus. That's what he does. I mean, salvation has come. It's, it's not about works. His faith resulted in a changed life, restitution of the past. It's interesting. In Hebrew, Jesus' name means salvation. So it's kind of a play on words. He's making a joke. When Jesus says salvation has come, he's like, Jesus is here. It's kind of funny. It's kind of cool. Now, if you are rich, and not that rich is bad, okay? I'm talking in this system and in, in this way. Uh, and the system is there. It's built to help you in this way. And if your whole system is built in that way and your chief tax getter goes soft, what happens to your lifestyle? Because seriously, who sits at the heart of Jericho's monetary culture? The chief tax collector. And Jesus goes to him. He goes to get that guy. And if you are poor on the other side of this and the chief tax collector starts to follow the way of Jesus, what does that mean for you? Woohoo! You're right. You're like, go get more from Jesus. This is good. This is what we need. This is political and financial and economic revolution. And if Jesus' message keeps spreading the way it does, and people like Zacchaeus take it into their homes and into their lives, the whole class system and economic order is going to be turned upon its head. And a lot of scholars will argue that this is one of the reasons why Jesus was killed, because you cannot mess with people's money. In churches, when you start talking about money, people are like, oh, you just want my wallet. We're going to go to another church where they don't talk about money. I mean, people hate talking about money. 
It's like, don't mess with my God. I'll worship Jesus, but money's my God, right? And, and this is the thing. And, and he goes in and he totally steps away from that. And he says, that is no longer my God. You're my God. I'm going to give it away. That's how his life completely changes. Here's the cool thing about history. We know that Zacchaeus stops being a tax collector, like Matthew stopped being a tax collector, and he ended up becoming a bishop in the Christian church that sprang up in Caesarea. Awesome. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. Today we've got to understand, like Zacchaeus, that the gospel has the power to change people's lives. It does. Jesus' death and resurrection, it can change us. It, to release us from these chains that have wrapped themselves around our hearts and where our hearts grab onto our stuff. We have to understand, our chains have been broken. A lot of times we feel like they haven't because we're holding on to the chains like this, going, no, I like my chains. Please let them stay on me. Jesus barges into the center of our life and into our world and says, today I want to redeem you. Our question becomes, do we respond like Zacchaeus or do we respond like the religious elite? If you call yourself a Christian, you've got to ask, how has your life changed since meeting and following Jesus? What's different? And if you're not a believer today and Jesus barged into the center of your heart and life, what things would he expose? What would they look like? What you have to understand is Jesus does this because the gospel is all about freedom. God intends to come and bring freedom in our lives, and that what that freedom does is allows us to worship him in the way that we are intended. It allows us to live his way in the world as he intended. You're not bound to all the chains of your anger and animosity because somebody hurt you or said something offensive to you or didn't like your photo on Facebook or whatever some stupid thing was. You can let those things go because the chains have been broken. And you get to live in the freedom because all the stuff that you have done, God took care of himself. And because you understand the great freedom that God has given you, you now get to live in great freedom in your lifestyle with everybody else around you. It's about first worshiping who Jesus is and then understanding that great grace of how he sought us and loved us and that is then lived out in our lives and how we encounter everybody else. It's the beauty of the gospel. Our God has come to rescue us from all the things that held us in chains and bondage. This is why we talk about communion every single week. It's where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip in the wine of the grape juice. reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me so we can be a people who have all the sin, all the stuff that separated us from God and from each other was dealt with at the cross. And we can then have relationship with God and with each other again to begin to live the way of God in the world where nothing chains us down. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you, I said, to take communion, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place in your life today and you're, and you're wondering, you know, how these things have their hooks in me. I don't know how to let go. Part of it is understanding that God's redemption for you has come and sliced those chains. And, and part of the idea is letting go because a lot of times we hold on to those things that keep us in bondage. And when you understand God's redemption in your life better, you understand how those chains have been broken and how he can restore you and what he intends our lives to look like. And they would love to pray with you about that today. Um, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving to them is simply part of our worship. We don't pass the plates. response to what he has done. Uh, there's food in the back and apparently no more coffee. So somebody did you a favor. Uh, <laughs> what's it? <laughs> there's Starbucks. Okay, right. So anyway... Uh, Grab something to eat, meet some other people. But I, more importantly than all that, guys, sign up for an agape meal. I mean, you may think, I don't know anybody. It's going to be awkward. Well, stick be in a room with a bunch of people that know, don't know anybody else. It'll be all awkward. Then we'll feed you some wine and some beer, and you'll be like, yay, tall, chatty Kathy, you never want to go home. 
we want you guys to connect to one another. We, because, yes, God saves us individually. We have a personal salvation, but our salvation is never meant to stay personal. We are meant to live it in this communal aspect of doing life with each other. I mean, this is why you see it so important when Jesus comes in and redeems Zacchaeus. He redeems him in the face of his community. His community. So the community understands we're supposed to all come together. This is, we're supposed to live life together. And we want you guys to start learning how to live lives together. And so we, we, are, we push these things. We do, we do all of, I don't know if you ever noticed, we're always baiting and switching things. We're trying to always get you guys to do things together. Because we believe it is important to live the gospel out by how we interact with one another. Because God has restored relationship between us and him, but also between us and each other. So let's start living out the way he calls us to, the way of God. Because our God has been good to us, broken our chains, set us free. He is amazing. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be unashamed about the love that you have bestowed upon us. That we would honor you by how we live out the understanding of what you have done in our lives. That our hearts would be drawn to you instead of drawn to all the things that want to keep us in chains. And that as we understand better and better your grace, our lives would change more and more to reflect that grace. That we'd be childlike in how we trust you. That when things come into our lives that we don't understand and we don't like, we would know that we are in the hands of a good and loving Father was brought us home and redeemed us. And that we would live such lives of unashamed love that others would know the goodness of who you are simply by how we lift you up. Teach us to speak in honesty of who you are, in honesty of the grace that you have done. Because when you came into the city and you sought out Zacchaeus, you knew exactly what was happening, that the deep sin in his life and the lives of the people who grumbled about what you were doing. And yet it didn't stop you from loving him, just like it didn't stop you from loving us. Teach us to understand that love and live in your ways so people understand, we ourselves would understand the graciousness of who you are and all we are be surrendered to you. We cannot thank you enough for loving us the way that you do. Teach us to love you back. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.